Hello and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast. I'm your host, Bill George. With me as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Hello, hello. What's going on, Bill? Not much, AJ. How are you? What's new? Big, big week for me and you for the podcast for nerds everywhere. Huge. I'm excited to be here tonight. There's a lot to go over. I want to I want to get past all of the pleasantries. And I kind of want to dive right into it. But before I do that, um, I watched another full movie this week. So, wow. Yep. Well done. Well done. What'd you watch? I watched uh, Free Guy on Disney Plus. Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds from yep. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. 2021. Yep. Uh, what'd you think? Should I go see it? I knew you were going to ask me this question. Uh huh. Um, a soft yes. It is, it is, as someone who's played video games their entire life, there are moments of it where I found pleasure in comedic relief. The problem is the Ryan Reynolds shtick has gone on for far too long, uh, both <laughs> yeah. in all of his movies and in this one. The plot is just full of just, you know, normal tropes and all of the, the things that you see with, you know, there's a romantic interest and, you know, there's a happy ending for everyone. I got a few good laughs. I got a few good chuckles. Um, it's not going to you know, change the world, but it was a good free watch on Disney. Yeah, I saw, you know, I knew uh, you were thinking about watching that. So I, I started it as well. But I'll be honest, I ended up falling asleep and I don't think I'm going to bother finishing it. I just, it just, it did not grab me. Uh, I, I really just... I haven't cared less about a movie in a long time, AJ. <laughs> I had like 45 uh, minutes left when I woke up when like the laundry went off. And I was like, nah, I'm good. Like, I'm it, just good. It it did take me three nights to finish it. So I feel you. <laughs> it, it's 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 a tough one to watch, but you'll get a few laughs and good chuckles. And if you're if you're a gamer and you enjoy video games. Yeah, happens. video games are the uh, little theme of the episode. We got we're gonna revi- revisit video games and video game adaptations as we talk today. Love it. Uh, starting with the, the news. So a couple news items that uh, we want to go over. AJ, why don't you kick us off? What's what's in the news this week? So, Bill, Disney is building residential communities for Disney adults. <laughs> exactly how insane is this on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, it's pretty insane. I, so I've always wondered, how do you tell which Disney adults are well-adjusted and they just like what they like? Versus those that are in some form of like arrested development. Yeah. And I feel like this is like the perfect bellwether. Like if you're looking at floor plans for the Disney residential community. Yeah. Maybe there's some introspection needed here. Their friends are worried about taking their socks off during intercourse. And these people are keeping the uh, mouse ears on. So (laughs) I I, I battled myself this week, Bill, in, in the shower. In the bathroom, doing work, <laughs> trying to think of a way to justify this, right? Hear me out. Sure, sure. Their rebuttal, I would think, would say, hey, people have golfing communities. People buy, you know, uh, penthouses in Vegas um, mm-hmm. resorts, mm-hmm. right? Like, what's the difference for me doing this as an adult in Disney versus someone buying community space in on a golf course in a hotel or resort area? I think the way they would justify it uh and and is that this is something that Walt Walter Disney would have wanted believe it or not so 
give me give me a second here. Give me a little little runway because I want to talk about this because I just finished this take it biography of Walter Disney. It was like a forty hour audiobook, and I am full of knowledge that I want to share. Go for it. Uh, but Disney grew up poor. His father beat him. They moved a bunch. Like he had a tough childhood. He was always looking for a sense of community and safety. And for a few years growing up, he was in Missouri. And that was like his everything. That's where he fell in love with animals. He had a tight knit community. He built the main street uh, in the park is based after his time there. Uh, And so he's always had that passion for community, right? Sure. When he built a new Disney studio, when they finally had the money that they needed after the success of Snow White, he wanted to build residences on the lot for the artists to live in. It got cut for budget reasons, but he always envisioned that. And then when they made Disneyland, Keep going. he envisioned also having quarters for the staff to live there too. And that ended up getting cut too. Sure. But then the big one is when he went to make Disney World towards the end of his life, he didn't envision that as a park. He envisioned that as what ended up becoming Epcot, the experimental prototype community of tomorrow, which is what Epcot stands for. He wanted to build a city where it was focused on the arts with theaters and shops where people could sell their art. And he started talking to art schools about moving their campuses to his new city that would be a city of the arts where you would live there and create your art. Okay. And all the studio would be there and the school would be there and all this stuff. So he wanted this idea of a community bubble. And so as crazy as it sounds, I think this is somewhat in line with what Disney would want is like a community. Now, not as full bluff as the Epcot he envisioned, but it's interesting. I mean, he specialized in escapism in, in everything that he did. And I think that it's interesting that this is something that's coming around. Like, I would never live there, but I'm fine with it. If these Disney folks want yeah. to live in a place that's not near me together, that's their choice. And that's fine. Um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. This is nothing like what Walt Disney wanted. <laughs> what you're what you're saying is a flourishing community based on advancing the arts and humanities. Not a whole bunch of people who are like infatuated with with childhood animation. I want to just say big shout out to whoever was in those meetings with Walt Disney saying, well, that's really interesting, Walt. But what we should really do is build a bunch of roller coasters <laughs> and people should rent hotel rooms. Yeah, it's interesting because they didn't say in the articles about this, like they don't know yet. It's very early stages. They don't know yet how much Disney branding will be like part of it. Sure. Versus it's just run by the Disney Corporation with their knowledge and expertise and hospitality. Um, so it'll be I'm curious to see how it how it shapes up. But I won't be signing any leases anytime soon. I'm still trying to I'm wrapping my head around this one. Keep thinking. Keep thinking. Uh, I have some some other news, AJ. You have news for me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Walton Goggins, mm. who you may know, uh, plays Boyd Crowder in the show Justified and is also in Righteous Gemstones. He is set to be the lead in Fallout, which is Amazon Prime series adaptation of the best-selling game franchises, which comes from Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, with Nolan set to direct the premiere. Also, Peacock has handed a series order to Twisted Metal, a comedic half-hour live-action adaptation of the video game from Sony. Played a lot when I was growing up. Yep. Yep. Anthony Mackie stars and executive produces that one. Ugh. Meanwhile, at HBO, The Last of Us uh, will officially not premiere in 2022 with production ongoing. 
And as we've previously discussed on the show, Paramount's Halo series begins at the end of March. So AJ, which video game adaptation are you most excited for and why? Uh, That's a really good question. So I've played all of them fairly extensively, right? I think the Fallout, it... The whole premise of Fallout is um, post-nuclear life right? Um, in various parts of the United States. We've seen a million versions of something post-apocalyptic. I don't need Fallout to anchor that. I mean, it's, it's probably going to be good, but I don't really need that in my life. Yep. Uh, second, Twisted Metal. It was a fun game growing up. I had a blast playing it. I, I don't see how it can be anything worth watching and i'm sick of anthony mackie and i think he's extremely overused so done last of us is an amazing cinematic experience the story is is there you don't need anything else to build upon that playing that game Mm -hmm. is like Mm -hmm. being in a movie so i don't think i need that as well i'll watch it but i don't need it which leaves me uh to halo so out of all of them i am most excited about halo we talked about the trailer a few episodes ago that um was released during the championship weekend for football um i'm totally down for that i think it's going to be a cool uh a cool adaptation and i'm 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 pretty excited about that okay okay it's i so i i'm pretty much in the in similar camp with you fallout i mean i love walton goggins love him and Amazon has done a nice job with adaptations, thinking of like The Boys, Reacher, Invincible. Like those are all great adaptations. So I trust Amazon. But I never played Fallout, so I'm not super invested. Halo, we've seen the footage. It does look great. So that's I'm excited for that. Twist Metal, I mean, if you're gonna do Left Field. If you're gonna do a car combat game, first of all, Vigilante 8 was a superior game. <laughs> uh, so that's the one I would pick. Like, I don't understand what Twist Metal is gonna be. Uh, but I'm all about The Last of Us. Like, I know you're right. Like, the game itself already does that. But with Mazin, the, the, the writer of Chernobyl, Craig Mazin, coming in to direct it, it's on HBO. They got a great cast. Like you said, everything they need is already on the page. Like, if they nailed The Last of Us, I would be thrilled. So that's the one that I'm... Because it's my favorite game of all time. So I am super amped for Last of Us, personally. I want to know what the pitch was to bring a guy named Axel who was uh, his limbs were detached and put wheels in place of his fists to be like, you know, to taking over the screens on Peacock. Yeah, I, I just I already you, I already know at the end of the first episode, a garage is going to open and then like the sweet tooth truck is going to roll out. And it's going to be a huge fucking moment for people. Yeah, I don't I don't get exactly. It. I don't get I'm it. I'm. I'm 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 okay with that, and I have more thoughts on Anthony Mackie, but it's it's not for now. Another I, episode, I, perhaps. Yeah, it's another episode. So, Bill, we got more Oscar news. The Academy has decided to not air eight of their awards live on air this year. This is uh, basically in hopes to streamline and shorten the broadcast. In a quote from the Academy. They said, quote, they want to emphasize that none of the 23 categories is coming off the show. Instead, they will be presented immediately before the start of the live broadcast in front of a full audience at the Dolby Theater and later folded into the actual three hour telecast. The eight categories uh, will be documentary short, film editing, makeup and hairstyling, original score, production design, animated short, live action short and sound. Bill, you always complain about the length of the Oscars. Um, what do you think about this move? 
You know, it's an interesting one. There's been a lot of discussion about it. Uh, a lot of folks not happy. The Academy having to do a lot of damage control because it when the news came out, it made it sound like these categories would not be shown at all and would just be given off TV and people flipped out. So they've re-clarified that basically what happens is they're going to get the entire audience there and the audience, the celebrities will have a four-hour show because that first hour they're going to be giving out these awards. But the broadcast is going to be three hours for the television viewer. And with and when they think about people reading out the name, then the person reacts and the person stands up, walks to the stage, they find their notes, they figure out which camera they're looking at, they give the speech, they walk off. If you can edit all that to just be their name, their reaction, their speech, and keep moving, then the idea is they can save some time, fold it in later. So like once the show starts live, they make the edits, they just funnel them in after commercials or before commercials, whatever. And the goal that the producer said is they want this to be a three-hour broadcast, period. So why not do that for all of the awards? If it That's just- Exactly. We're getting to the point where it's not even a live broadcast if they keep doing this. Um, I don't know. I, I appreciate their goal of getting to three hours because over three is insane. The audience, especially on the East Coast at 11 p.m., immediately starts to like deteriorate. Uh, but I think there's other ways to cut to get to the three hours. Like, why do this? Uh, they've because one of the things they said too is that people apparently missed all the clips they used to show. And I'm like, no, like know your audience. The people that are watching the Oscars are watching them because they want to see who wins the awards. We don't need the like random montage to celebrate the magic of film. Like we were already there watching it. They're not having, you know, they don't need to entertain casual viewers. There are no more casual viewers. This isn't like when Titanic was nominated. Nobody's just dropping in the broadcast. They're brought watching to watch the awards. Just show the awards, cut the nonsense. Uh, and I think you can do it without having to give these people like a second class citizen type scenario where they don't get their full moment. Craig, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the Grammys has like a pre-Grammy th- release where like they'll they have like 20 of them that are already done the day before or the morning of and they just rattle them off during the show. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I have no idea how these awards are presented, but yes, at, at the Grammys, there's tons of awards that do not get on the broadcast. I was surprised to know that the Oscars weren't already doing this, frankly. I had just assumed that they, this was this was like standard, but I guess all the awards had previously been in the show. Yeah, that's been a, a a red line for the Academy and all the guilds is that all 23 categories are shown on the broadcast, period. That's always that's always been the standard is they will show all 23. Uh which so this is a way to this is a way to still do that, but save time. I don't know. There's there's never going to be a good answer to this, but I think hopefully after what happens this year, people will either realize what happens with the shortened broadcast and they'll be okay with it, or it's just going to go back to the way it was and they're going to have to figure out how to make up time and people are just going to be miserable or they're going to drop the ratings. They're going to, you know. I don't understand why they can't also get like a couple sponsors to make it commercial free or as close to commercial free as possible. When you get into that last hour, the commercials are absurd. Uh, it's just like, why not bring in somebody to make it commercial free? I mean, the, the, the broader question is like, are award ceremonies like a dying? Oh, 100%. If you look at so the ratings what, what, over the last what, few what, years. What are, we, what are we doing here? Like, what, Well, that's what I mean. I think you got to cater to the crowd. That, the, the crowd that has stuck around 
are the diehards. So just show the awards to them because that's what they're here for. Like, don't try to make it an all entertaining party that you're going to get all yeah. of a sudden a bunch of people to watch. It's over. That Those days are done. Bill, let's go onward to um, some reviews. The Should I Go See It segment. We have two films we will be talking about this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is Uncharted, uh, based off of the video game of the same name. Uh, according to imdb.com, street smart Nathan Drake is recruited by seasoned treasure hunter Victor Sully Sullivan to recover a fortune amassed by Ferdinand Magellan and lost 500 years ago by the House of Moncada. Bill, should I go see it? Yes. <laughs> a, a soft yes, I would say. <laughs> Before we get into it, what was that face, Craig, about the the synopsis from IMDb? It's just something so silly sometimes about reading the character names from the description. Like, they just always sound so stupid. They're dumb. Anyways, what is Ferdinand Magellan? Like, what are we doing here? Wait, wasn't Ferdinand Magellan? Magellan's the actual... Yeah, he was explorer a real explorer who went around the world, navigate, circumnavigated the globe. I didn't know his first name was Ferdinand. What? Wow. <laughs> Magellan? You just knew him as Magellan? The Madonna of the fucking, of around the world? Literally, yes. Obviously. Where did you go to school? Okay. Well, you're clearly not educated. Jesus Christ. Public school did a great, <laughs> did a great job for you. Oh my God. Bill, what's the deal with this movie? It looks horrible. It looks so stupid stupid fun in some ways i'll say that okay <laughs> it's it, it's a weird alchemy of things with this movie because i will say i love the uncharted games unabashedly like i definitely am biased going into it all right and this did a nice job capturing the spirit of the games it felt like the games which brought me some joy like the puzzles the chases the climbing the costumes like they all evoked the feeling of the game. Similar to the newest Tomb Raider movie with Alicia Vikander, the films in and of themselves are, are fine, slightly above average, but what elevates them is the fact that they can capture the essence of the games they represent. So that was cool. Now, that being said, the weird part about the movie was the casting because Tom Holland uh, and Mark Wahlberg are not exactly the first people you would think of if you've played no. these video games. <laughs> Everyone knows that Nathan Fillion should have played Nathan Drake. Yeah, Nathan Fillion. I mean, 15 years ago, Nathan Fillion, 100%. I I mean, he might be a little old for the role now. But Tom Holland's too young for the role. So there's that. Uh, So this is where it gets weird. Because Holland is not a good Nathan Drake. And Wahlberg is a bad Sully. When you think about them as the game characters, when you think about them as the game characters, you're really selling it right now. In and of themselves, the performances that they give in the movie are good and entertaining, and their banter is great. So, like, okay, Holland is great in this treasure hunting movie. If it didn't have the Uncharted title, it would be fine. He's not. If you are like really stuck on the games, yeah, he's not going to be a good Nathan Drake. But is he a good leading man in this action movie? Yeah, actually, he is. So it's a tricky sort of thing you have to wrap your head around of like. Not exactly loyal to that part of the material, but the rest of the movie is, and they're still good on their own. So I, so I was okay with it. I, I went along for the ride. Do you think it's a, it's a, it's a yes for most people, but a no for fans, diehard fans of the game? Will they be able to get past that? Because I see Tom Holland and I see 
Mark Wahlberg, and I say, nope, there's no way I'm watching this. I was able to get past it, and I love the games. So I don't know. It's hard to say. I think for someone who knows nothing about the games, I think you'll have a good time. I think it's like an Indiana Jones light. You know what I mean? Like it's your treasure hunting, globe trotting adventure, fucking maps with like showing the plane on where they're going to next, like the whole shebang. Um, and they do a good job with it. It's fun. The Anna, the 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 action sequences, the ones that are pulled from the game, such as the plane mission that is basically all over the advertising from Uncharted Three, that's fantastic. Sure. The other action, like they do have some like handheld fights, those are cut to hell, and you can barely follow them, and they're no good. So when they lift the material directly from the game, they do a great job. When they try to just do their own thing, it's not as good. The other thing that I bumped on a little bit, they don't use the actual Uncharted theme until like the end credits. The end credits come up and all of a sudden you hear the music from the Uncharted menus. And I was like, holy shit, I forgot this has a great theme. Why did they not use this? Um, so that was a huge missed opportunity as well. Seems like a lot of piss poor decisions from everyone involved. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's some issues for sure. But that being said, uh, if you're a fan of the games, give it a shot. It's less than two hours. It's an entertaining romp. Like uh, I thought it was fine. I, was, I had a good time. I was entertained by it. Uh, go to the theater or wait till it's streaming at home. I think for a lot of people, if, the, if you're on the fence, then yeah, you might I guess you might as well wait. I, I don't think like the action sequences are pretty like big scale, but not so big that like they demand to be seen on screen. Also, it did start in media res in the middle of that oh. action sequence on the plane oh. uh, where they're falling out of a plane and then it cuts back to his childhood 15 years earlier. And I I was furious as I normally am when they do that. Just veins in the forehead, sweat pouring. Just you got to be kidding me right now. This is a pretty soft. Yes, I got to say. Yeah, I mean, you didn't sell it well, Bill. I'm not going to lie. I'm still telling you, I was entertained overall. It brought me joy when he like. There's a part where he has to climb uh, up a ship and he like grabs the, the cannon uh, with two hands, just like he does in the game and like leap himself up to the it like they they really nail a lot of the game elements that really like made me feel like I was in on it. And I just enjoyed that. OK, well, I'm going to pass on that one. Um, All right. Fair enough. Shall we move on to the main event? Let's tell us about your date. So the next film we uh, <laughs> we will be talking about um is The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves. According to imdb.com, when the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer, begins murdering key political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement. Bill, should I go see it? Absolutely, 100% yes. There's no question about it. Uh, I loved this movie, and the more that I have thought about it and reflected on it since seeing it the night before this recording. Uh, I love it even more. Where do I start? There's a million oh, places. God, there's so start. much to it. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a movie that is two hours and 56 minutes long. So there's plenty of meat on the bone to discuss. Uh, I think we need to stay away from spoilers and kind of talk generally because not everybody will have seen it by the time we, we release this episode. Uh, but I would say this movie, thinking about a Batman experience and thinking about the graphic novels, especially and sort of the, the live action realization of those graphic novels is near perfect, uh, near perfect, near perfect. I think there's a couple of small flaws and choices that I don't think work, 
And that's what's a little maddening about it because you can think about how perfect, how close to perfect it is and how amazing it could have been. Like it makes those small issues stand out more because the rest of it is so good. Yep. But I'm trying not to let like those couple of things wear me down because when you, the more I think about the rest of the stuff that does work, it is incredible. All right. This is what we're, we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to rewind the clock just a tad bit, right? So yep. uh, Batman made his theatrical debut in the early 90s with Michael Keaton, which morphed into some short stints by Val Kilmer and George Clooney. Uh, if we thought sure. Tim Burton's early 90s Batman movies were goofy, uh, the late 90s movies with Val Kilmer and George Clooney were fucking comical. All right. Oh, just, yeah, beyond the pale. We get a good break in the action. And then, as we all know, Christopher Nolan comes in in the 2000s yeah. and, and does the Dark Knight trilogy, which everyone kind of touts as the, 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 the best Batman there, there has ever been. Yeah. The DC Cinematic Universe gets kicked into high gear to combat the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they cast hometown hero Ben Affleck right. as the new Batman. Ne- never gets his own movie. Never gets his own movie. During that time, um, we get a standalone Joker film as kind of a non-canon exploration of a character that we all know, played by Joaquin Phoenix. Yep. Huge critical success. And now we see Matt Reeves get his chance at a non-canon version of of, of a Batman that lives outside of the, the DC cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. That is not your typical Bruce Wayne or your typical Batman that, that most people know, but basically what we call a, a year one Batman, where he is yeah. really becoming himself and understanding who he is. He's probably two, three years into his exploration as as the Batman, the comics that are pulled into it is the long Halloween, Batman year one. Yeah, they borrow a lot. It is a very, yeah, there's very, a, a, a young, a young Bruce Wayne and a young Batman that we're seeing. So let's start there. Did we need, or did this merit another, not even additional film, but another entry into Batman's world? I would say yes. I think they earned it. And I think that, Unlike Spider-Man, so Spider-Man got remade a couple of times and a lot of people started groan about it every time. And I think that's partially because every time we've seen Spider-Man, they kind of do it the same way. It's kind of variations on the same theme. The tone is always kind of the same. It's just a different actor. Batman, I feel like every time they've redone Batman, it has a new tone. It has a new take. It feels fresher to me. So I don't mind them redoing Batman, especially in this movie where they do not rehash the origin. Um, and they're starting in, I think they say, year two of his sort of experiments as being Batman. Uh, I'm fine with that. I, I think each generation gets a chance to kind of remake Batman in, in a new image. Uh, and, I, and I think that this and Nolan's movies are definitely closer than they are apart. But I still think this stands out for its groundedness and its seriousness. And I think it merits making another Batman. Now, that being said, this is the thing that has come up in every discussion I've had about this so far, uh, is everyone always asks, is, that, is where is it ranked? Where, how is it compared to Nolan? How is he compared to Bale? And like, comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, it is so hard to just to, to sit here and, and automatically rank it. Like, I want to make sure that this still gets its own uh, merit. I, if I could judge it purely in a vacuum, 
I would I would do my best to do that. It's hard, obviously. Uh, and the movie doesn't exactly do itself a lot of favors in how much it borrows from not only the comics, but from other films and from other Batman films specifically. So it kind of invites comparison, which makes it a little tricky too. But all that being said, I still think it's amazing. I think it merits its own existence. I, I think it, if you are going to rank it, gun to my head, I think it's going to rank below Dark Knight, but in the conversation. Um, I still think Dark, Dark Knight got there first, so there's a certain level of novelty to Dark Knight. And I've had more time to now sort of sit on Dark Knight as the masterpiece that it is, so I wouldn't put it there. But I put it, I'd put it maybe next in the list if I had to. But again, I, I'm trying not to do that too, too much. So I, I think, I think, I think, I think those are all valid points. I think what you need to realize when you go into watching this movie is this is a vision and this is an exploration of of Batman that has truly never been done before outside of the comics and maybe one or two animated feature length movies that DC put out, right? It is a grungy, young, stylized, yet grounded in like real life emotions type Batman that is different than the true... Uh, origin story to full arc that we saw with Christopher Nolan's Batman. So you need to know that going into it. What they both possess, and I think in some ways I like this version a little bit better, is the way that the cinematography, the direction, and the score all work together to create something that's like very unique and very stylized and very immersive in a world that is so far different, yet really close to the one that we live in every day. And that's what I truly liked about it. There are a lot of things, Bill, that we talked about that were missed marks or just didn't seem right. But the more I think about it, the more I really kind of love this little world that they built in a Batman that just never been done before. Yeah, I, that's that was in my notes too, talking about the world building. The more I thought about it, I think... The thing that's really cool about this movie is the... I mean, they have three hours to do it, which certainly helps. But the world that they built, I... You can actually envision these characters like living in this world. Like there's more going on than just what we're seeing. It's not like most movies where these characters only exist for the scenes that we see them in. Like I can picture these characters living their lives in this world when we're not watching them. Like it feels fully fleshed out. And, and to your point as well... The, the the minute issues I have with it are mostly story related, so I don't want to get into them. Um, but taking that away from the technical and execution standpoint, the score, the atmosphere, the lighting, the fight choreography, the pacing, the costumes, like it is a home run. It is unbelievable. And even though there are some things that they lift directly from other movies, some more, more than I'd like, uh, there's also a couple things in it that I have never seen before. Uh, like the way they use the Batmobile, the car chase in this film, I've never seen anything like that on film before in my life. And it rocked my world. So uh, it is just, it's, it's, it's a marvel. It really is, is fantastic. Two things that I want to just call it as, as my kind of, I guess, favorite aspects of the, the, the film. The first one, the score by, uh, Michael Giacchino is probably, one of my favorite scores I've ever I've I've heard in probably the last ten probably ten years. I was gonna say one of the best musics or original scores in a decade at least. Yeah, I mean, this is a film that I'm not 
because of my hearing, I don't go to the, we joke about it. I don't go to the film, the theaters much because I can't understand what's going on, but being able to hear his original score with the, with the sound design and everything else was like a truly immersive experience. Uh, Michael Giacchino, he, he's been in a, he's in a lot of stuff. He, he got, uh, Rose to fame. He did the soundtrack for the um, Pixar movie Up. Oh, okay. Its title track was called "The Married Life," and it was a little. Yeah, I remember that. Rose to fame. He did a bunch of Star Trek films. He did Rogue One. He's done a lot of work. I think on the Mandalorian. He did. I mean, he's he's everywhere now, and I think this kind of gets him into the rank of the the Hans Zimmer's of the world. And oh yeah. Like, he's top tier. He's, he's top, top tier, tier for sure. Um, and, and the score is phenomenal. So that was a check for me. And the supporting characters and cast in this film stood out in an exceptional way. So John Turturro, um, Colin Farrell, Zoe Kravitz, I mean, truly knocked it out of the park and was able to help truly build, you know, this world and this scenario that, that that felt really grounded and and it was it was a really good experience to see it in theaters. Yeah, I you know you mentioned the cast. We didn't talk about Pattinson yet. That is a question I've already been asked a lot too. Is how is he as Batman? And I will say, this is like we said, it's as much more like a graphic novel where a lot of his detective work. Uh, there's very little Bruce Wayne. He's Batman seventy five percent cape and cowl in this movie basically. Um, there's just like a couple splash pages of action spread out, but it's a lot of detective work. So because Pattinson is almost always Batman, he doesn't get a chance to show range like Christian Bale did. So it's like hard to compare apples to apples because it's not quite that. But Pattinson as Batman in Cape and Cowl, uh, I thought he did a really nice job. I thought it was really great for, for what for what he had to do. I think he was great. Um, but it is a little hard to compare just because he doesn't do quite as much but all the detective stuff uh another aspect of the of the movie we didn't get into yet i love that this felt to me like i was watching an hbo like true crime drama but like binging it because it's like all like you get all the best parts just next to next to next like you don't have to wait week to week there's no filler just three hours of that like true detective feel but with fucking batman instead (laughs) of some random schmuck uh so and and Pattinson also can we talk about the look of this Batman in like the I guess the closest comparison would be the Arkham video games but like the armored up suit was just dope might be a hot take he is the best suited and on screen Batman I think we've we've seen to date I think I could give that to I think I would I think I would make that call yeah just the 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 presence, the presence. Yeah, he the has. technology, the presence, the way like he had like this almost like l- leather cape that was like built up around the neck. Like, yeah, there was just a lot of cool details in the way he. Every time he was on screen, he he dominated. Oh, mesmerizing! Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, flip side, what are the things that we, you know kind of eh, moments we had with the film because it can't all be great. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. I said near perfect at the, at the top. Near perfect to clarify. So I, I, some of them are very specific to the story. So I don't want to go too far into that. I will say one thing that 
still bothers me. You know, we've talked, you talked extensively about the amazing score. The film uses a licensed song in a prevalent way. And I really bumped on that. It really took me out of the experience to hear a song that I know that exists in our world all of a sudden existing in, in the world of Gotham. Uh, and so, it's only like, one. It's only one song. They only song. use the one song. And the, if they only use the melody or the theme of the song, fine. But they use the vocals too. So when you hear a singer that you know singing in the world of Gotham, it was very distracting for me because typically when we think about, especially the DC universe, which takes place in its own situation. It's not like Marvel where there's fucking New York. This is Gotham. It's its own thing. When you hear a song that you know, uh, and then not only that, it's not only that they decided to use that for the audience's purposes. They cut it into the film where Bruce like turns down the radio at one point. And so the song that's playing also turns down indicating that he was listening to it. So now it's Bruce Wayne is listening to this song that I also listened to on fucking CD. And it's like, it just feels, it felt really weird to me. And they open with it and end with it. So I was just like, it was very, that was just like a weird choice when you have such a great original score. If the original score were to borrow some of the melody, fine. But to use the actual recording was just a, just a weird, weird choice. Wait, so you're saying Bruce Wayne's not allowed to enjoy Nothing But a Good Time by Poison, just like the rest of us are? <laughs> it was actually A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. <laughs> Making my way downtown. Yeah, I had, I had, it was, it, it, that was a weird choice. Okay, what else you got? Um, I think that they could have explored, um, you know, we mentioned that there's not a lot of Bruce Wayne. I think they could have explored that more. I think it would have been nice to have a little more background on this version of Bruce Wayne, a little more of his motivation, a little more of his interiority. It's interesting because the the film, there is voiceover narration, uh, which I typically really like if it's done well. And I think this is done well. But it also, like many movies with narration, they use it for the first couple of scenes, then it completely goes away and they completely forget about it as a narrative device and you never hear it again. Uh, So like, the consistency would have been better if they kind of interspliced that a little bit. And it also would have given us a chance to learn a little bit more about this Bruce Wayne to give Pattinson a little bit more to do as well. So I think there was a missed opportunity a little bit there. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, one of Matt Reeves biggest pulls um, for this film was uh, the long Halloween. And it's basically the premise is, every major holiday is a new kind of serial killer or, or villain that comes up in the world. And the idea is that this, the whole film kicks off with a murder on Halloween night. And like you said, he talks about Halloween and the streets are flooded with these people and their disguises. And then it goes into like him lurking in the shadows. And you're like, fuck yeah. Like, yes. fuck it's yeah. Fucking awesome. it, it, the budget for rain in this film must have been astronomical because it's, it's, it rains for 17 days straight the entire film is at night in the rain every scene <laughs> so then you're like i'm getting into it and then like you said the the narration breaks after you realize that he's he, he journals his experiences and then you don't hear that narration until the end of the film and then you realize it's only been a week or so that these events have transpired yeah now yeah. i i get the pull from the comics that there is some sort of narration that goes through but like you said i would have loved like a typical noir film where the narrator comes in like Sin City and kind of goes through the thought process behind it. I'm hoping 
that um, if Matt Reeves uh, does a director's cut, and I don't mean director's cut in terms of like, I think at three hours we we've hit the mark. I, I think there wasn't any cutting, yeah. But I think being able to bring in some of those aspects, like that narration that could have been left on the cutting room floor, you could tell that there was a the line of language and violence was very much kind of played with. They kept it PG thirteen. It's it's a bloodless, pretty bloodless movie. I mean, it's got a high body count, but it's not graphic by they, any means. They pushed PG thirteen to the the as far as it could go. His early conversations about the film, he wanted to make it a true horror film. So I'm hoping there is some stuff on the cutting room floor that will kind of reinforce that and maybe change to a unrated director's cut. My only other kind of negative about the film is Paul Dano is always great. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast. At the end of the day, when you look at the Riddler as a whole, it just falls a little flat. And I was hoping for a little bit more in terms of just presence on screen, character development, and just overall yeah. kind of oomph. Yeah, it's it's that's another tough one, especially with the the natural comparison that's going to get made is every Batman villain is now in the shadow of Heath Ledger. And for Dark Knight Rises, Nolan, you know, they specifically, uh, you know, where where Heath Ledger's a zig, they zagged with with Bane to just give just try to make sure they would mitigate comparisons by making a completely different type of villain. And I think successfully, I think Tom Hardy's Bane, you know, we laugh about him all the time, but that's because he's so enduring. We still remember it. Uh, but this, they're Paul Dano Riddler. They play it pretty similar to Heath Ledger's Joker in some ways. And so it invites that comparison. Like you cannot get away from it, even in how they structure some of the scenes and some of the dialogue. Like it's, they're asking for the comparison and and you're never going to win that comparison. So, so yeah, I agree that Dano... Not his fault. Um, I think he gives everything he can for what's on the page. But I think that it's just not the best uh, aspect of the film when we are so accustomed to villains being the best part of almost everything Batman. Because Batman, Batman as one character has a better rogues gallery than the entire Marvel Universe. Like Batman's rogues gallery is the best there is. And so they usually steal the show. So in this movie, to have that not happen is a little bit different. And yeah, it's not... I don't. I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't say it's bad by any means. It's just not as up to snuff as I think the film around it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm excited to see what happens. There's been no talks or no news about re-upping and having Matt Reeves do another film. I think they leave it at the end in a place where we can see more iterations of this sure. universe. But also, if they decide to do a one and done, that's fine. I too, think yeah. we're also in a good place too. Um, so, final thoughts. Wrap it up. Uh, I think it's <laughs> yes to should I go see it, uh, especially in a big theater. So, you know, this movie comes out on Friday, the same time as this episode. You and I were able to see it in IMAX earlier this week on Tuesday at a, a fan premiere advanced screening. We got to see it in IMAX. And I think if you can see it in that format, you absolutely should. Just be warned. I don't know if it was the theater we were in, but they cranked that volume. Like I know IMAX is louder than normal movies, but this was Sonic Boom level loudest movie I've ever heard in my oh, no. life. I mean, yeah, the 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 tinnitus afterwards was just like a like a almost like a flashbang went off and in, in like next to me for like 
three hours. Yeah, just bleeding out the eardrums. Um, but it was, it, I mean, that added to the experience, especially with that pounding score. It was, it was an experience for sure. Uh, so if you can see it in IMAX, absolutely. But you definitely, I think, should see it in theaters. Just make sure you use the restroom ahead of time. Because, again, it's two hours and 56 minutes long. All right, Bill, to round this out, we're going to go to uh, one of our favorite segments called Netflix and Bill. What are you watching this week? (laughs) So since our last episode, uh, the Peacemaker finale uh, occurred. Peacemaker season one's over. Um, I enjoyed it, generally speaking. And season two has already been announced. It has been renewed. So I'll probably keep going with Peacemaker when it comes back. 100%. 100%. Uh, you told me you were watching Inventing Anna on Netflix. You recommend? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, dude, I, I Sounds like, like a Netflix, no on the shit I can see at scale. Netflix is pumping out so much shit right now. It's really hard to keep track of. Um, it, it's based on a real life story of this woman, Anna Delvey, who basically conned hundreds of Manhattan socialites out of millions of dollars by saying she was a German heiress Mm -hmm. and it is a dramatized version of that story with Julia Garner playing the lead Julia Garner um, from Ozark, another hit uh, Netflix show and from the Americans. Exactly. It's it, it was, it's directed by, have you ever seen the show scandal on ABC when it was out? I have not. I hear a lot of people love it, though. From the same showrunner. So in terms right. of like stylistically and how things are cut and how thing, time is intertwined, it's it's exactly the same. Characters fall flat. It runs on each episode is over almost an hour and a half each. What? Yeah. I mean, it is just. That's wild. Fucking punch myself in the face. Um, Couple good moments, but it's not worth the time and the investment. So it's passed for me. Okay. Uh, I'm also watching Billions. We are mid-season on Billions on Showtime. This is a show that has been around for five or six years at this point, and I absolutely love it, especially now they've kind of really found their groove and they know what they are and are leaning into it. And, you know, Paul Giamatti yelling at people, I'll, I'll put my money down to see that. Any it should be my week. ringtone. <laughs> um, and what's really interesting about the show now is after about four seasons, Damian Lewis, who was the co-lead, um, he was written off the show. Um, his wife died tragically and he oh, decided to leave. Yeah. So they wrote him off the show, but they want to keep the show going because Showtime is known for running shows into the ground. Um, and so they're going to keep going with it. But they added Corey Stoll as the new co-lead with Paul Giamatti. And I Oof. love Corey Stoll. One of the most attractive bald men that's ever walked the face sure, of this. Sure. One of my favorite actors working today. So he now leads it. So him and Paul Giamatti are yelling at each other. And I'm in heaven every Sunday night. So uh, <laughs> billions. Love it. Uh, and also, uh, sticking with the video game theme that we've had this episode. You've been gaming, bro? Been gaming a little bit. Not watching, but playing uh, Horizon Forbidden West on PlayStation 5. It is very cinematic. And, you know, it's an, op- it's an open world adventure game, like basically every game that they make nowadays. Uh, I'm now about five and a half hours in, so I'm fully through the tutorial and into the open world. Um, and it's good. It is much more engaging than the first game, which I never finished because I lost lost my interest. Wow. So you decided to buy the second version? Uh, this game looks gorgeous. Best graphics I've seen maybe ever. Ooh. And so I was like sucked in by that. 
and I'm giving it a shot. Um, we'll see how far I get with it. It's um, too many. There's too many side quests. Too much to do. I don't like big games. I'm trying to just do the main quests. Uh, but so far, it's pretty good. It's pretty good so far. Uh, any movies you're watching this week? Definitely want to watch Drive My Car. That is the Japanese film that is nominated for Best Foreign uh, Language Film as well as Best Picture. Uh, this year at the Academy Awards, it is the only Best Picture nominee I have not seen yet. And it now is on HBO Max. So Drive My Car, I would like to watch. Okay. And Cyrano, the Peter Dinklage movie about Cyrano de Bergerac is now in wide release. So if I can catch that in theaters, it was nominated for a Golden Globe. So I'd like to check that out if I can. Uh, those are the two that are on my list currently. Wow. Okay. Uh, I got two. I'm going to... Uh, West Side Story is now on HBO Max or Disney Plus, one of them. Yep. My pick for best of the year last year. Going to watch that. And then I'm going to watch uh, The Power of the Dog after I watch um, Sam or read about Sam Elliott losing his mind over uh, that film in the news. I uh, thought about why not? Yeah, you should, because it's it got the most nominations for this year's awards. It's a it's a front runner for Best Picture. I gave it a no. So really curious your take. That would be a good uh, good thing to follow up on next time. Yeah. So thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Leave a comment, leave a like. Uh, we'll see you next time.